Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Shabbat Shalom, family. It's good to see everybody. Um, as we prepare to enter into Shabbat, we're going to have the mother of the house light the candles. And then uh, I just want to say a few things to kind of posture us to honor the Torah reading and, and just honor the Torah itself um, tonight. So, well, it's it's actually kind of interesting because how many people heard Megan's positioning on Boxer for for this evening? What Megan prays into and releases is is touching on the pulse of kind of the um, the spiritual status of where our family's at corporately. And she has that gift to be able to tap into that and articulate how we need to posture ourselves according to that and reconciling that with him. So I would encourage you guys to always go and listen to those um, if you didn't have a chance when she released it. But she talked about this level of complacency corporately and when I say that, and when she said that, I don't want us to feel like uh, condemned or discouraged about it, but realize that I think what's happening is corporately we're kind of hitting a wall of resistance as we're moving forward. You know, we're crossing that bridge, we're leaving one place and entering into another. And, you know, there's been kind of a honeymoon phase, I would say, of excitement, of the newness of what the Father's introducing us to, everything that we realize we've missed out on for however many years that we've uh, you know, known Him, and getting excited about it. However, the process of being read by the Torah is bringing us to this place where we're kind of, I, I would describe it as hitting a wall of resistance. And it's meant to be broken through. It's a good thing. It's not a it's not a personal condemnation, although it is a place to examine and reconcile where we're at as far as how hungry we are for something. Every time we come to the table on a Friday as representatives of Yahweh and his word and just being vessels to deliver what we feel the Holy Spirit wants to deliver. It's never meant to, the, the message, the delivery of the message is never meant to sustain you to the next week. That is not the intent at all whatsoever. And I know that most of us know that, but maybe we forget that sometimes, that, oh, we're just looking to Friday and it's going to be good and we're going to enter Shabbat and we're going to, we're going to eat on the Word and all of these things, but really what it's meant to do, and I know Mom's heart as the mother of the house, when she delivers a message, it's to ignite a fire in you to take that and run with it into the next week. So the next week, these things are just getting more and more established in us. What we came out of was a system, right, of religion, of Christianity. We reconciled that against the Word against the fullness of the word. And I think a lot of times what happens is in Christianity, in that system, a lot of the heavy lifting is done for you. A lot of things are manufactured. A lot of things are compromised 
there's a lot of loopholes to where you don't have to do the heavy lifting of being a disciple actually. So I wanted to talk about being vigilant. And as I was thinking about it, we're, we're coming to a place where the Father is wanting us to have a level of vigilance that I believe we don't we have never experienced before because the system that we were in never demanded the level of vigilance that he's demanding now. Which basically means you've never had to lift or bear the burden on your own. I'm just generally speaking. You've never had to bear the burden on your own in that system like you will be expected to now. So... Just thinking about our dynamic as a family, we're coming into this new place, it's amazing. We've left one place, we've crossed over to another place of, of genuine truth, and it's amazing. But with that, we should expect that the level of responsibility and the level of burden that we are expected to carry on our own is going to increase to an uncomfortable place that we've never known before. So when we think about it, we're being reintroduced to his instructions and we're starting a three-year cycle, Torah portion by Torah portion by Torah portion. We will be in Genesis, or we will have been in Genesis when we're done with this uh, book for about 45 weeks. That's how slow we're going. And you can see how much you could, you could, you could chew on these chapters for a year, I feel like. And we're taking them week by week, and yet still it's going to take us 45 weeks just to get through Genesis. And I was thinking about it today. We're being reintroduced to the loving instructions of the Father. And if we're not diving in and pursuing this and carrying this burden individually, how are we going to familiarize ourselves in an intimate way if we're viewing it like just week to week? I don't want us to get to fall back into the, the, the rhythm or the pattern that we are all so accustomed to because that system made it easy for us to go week to week, right? Busyness, right? Everybody's busy. Everybody could use the excuse of busyness, sickness, whatever it is. But I believe as we'll probably get into tonight and what's being released, right, as we're being read there's a way that you post, there's a way that our ancestors postured themselves at the at the greatest expense you could ever imagine. Never mind you just got a little cough, you're a little busy, you got, you know, you got work to do, you got projects. Everybody had we all have all those excuses, right? But what I want to say before we dive into tonight is there is a level of vigilance that we have never been familiar with, that we are going to be familiar with. And the opportunity that we're being presented by being read by the Torah is to be extremely vigilant, to press into what am I supposed to carry as an individual, not anybody else, not my wife, not my husband, not the, the leaders, not the elders. It's, forget all that. As for me... And my relationship with the with the Torah and the instructions of the Father, because at the end of the day, that's all you're going to have to answer for, right? Yeah. He's he's not going to say, 
I know you were really busy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I know you were I know you didn't really feel good that one time. And so it's a, you know what I'm saying? That none of that matters. I get it. That's all just part of life. I get it. But I just wanted to kind of orient where our family's at. We've left one place. We're crossing over to another place. And the place that we are walking in right now, it's, it's where, this is where you engage the I don't know. I, I knew what it was like before. We know that. What do we not know? What we don't know is how hungry his followers are supposed to be, how vigilant they're supposed to be, and how his followers don't wait for anybody else to carry what you're supposed to carry. So I just I just want us to be in that paradigm as we receive the Torah portion tonight. All right, family? So we can all stand and do this reading. Now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Hineni, he said. Then he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains about which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, he split wood for the burnt offering. He got up and went to the place about which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Sit yourselves down here with the donkey. As for me and my young man, we'll go over there, worship, and then return to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And then Isaac said to Abraham, his father, my father. Then he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, here's the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place about which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there, laid out the wood, bound up Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Adonai said to him from on heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Hineni. Then he said, Do not reach out your hand against the young man. Do nothing to him at all. For now I know that you are one who fears God. You do not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a ram, just caught in the thick bushes by its horns. So Abraham went to, and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place Adonai Yirah, as it is said today on the mountain Adonai will provide. The angel of Adonai called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I swear it is a declaration of Adonai, because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, your only son. I will richly bless you and bountifully multiply your seed like the stars of heaven and like the sand that is on the seashore, and your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because you obeyed my voice. And then Abraham returned to his young men, and they got up, and they went together to Beersheba. Then Abraham dwelled in Beersheba. Now it was after these things that it was told to Abraham, Look, 
Milcah has also borne sons to Nahor, your brother. Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Hildash, Yidlaf, and Bethuel. Then Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Yuma, also bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Meaka. All right, so as we do communion together, I want you to think of whatever that wall of resistance looks like for you this past week or this past however long, and just believe that as we've entered into Shabbat and we engage in this Torah portion, that there is going to be a breakthrough in that, that this is just part of the process and that we are going to break through that and just know that you're receiving this Torah portion. So with the bread of his body, go ahead and partake of that and declare it's being written on my heart. And Yahweh, as we partake of Yeshua and drink of him, that whatever you have to be established tonight through this Torah portion, that it would be established in each and every heart in this room, in this entire family, each and every household. I am, I was telling them that I've, I want to, I want to, before I dive into the, the Torah portions, I feel like I want to kind of do what he did, like address some things, but I don't know what I want to address. So I'm like feel, feeling it out. <laughs> um, the, the vision that I have when he said that there's a, a, a wall of resistance and a breakthrough, if you think about it, we are in the section of Torah portions titled that he appears. So we are at the end. This is the last week of he appears. Um, and so just thinking of that that wall of resistance in us to break through the fullness of his appearance. So it's like this, this visual that I have is, you know, the, the Torah portions all leading up to this. And then the sun being revealed. And then the weight of recognizing what he just said, 45 weeks. And it only took 18 I guess what I'm saying is, is that we've said it before, the sun is the beginning. Right. And he's talking about a system that said the sun is the end. Yep. And so we're in this place as a family where even in our wineskin shifting from one place of establishing to get to a place to say, and that just is establishing the beginning yes. to move forward for some of us, it could feel like, and, 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 um, and it's done. Yes. Yay. Yeah. And then to recognize, like, we're on chapter 22 of 100. So I don't, I don't know. There's just this, like, prophetic feeling of that last, not the last week, but we're in that last week of section of him saying, I'm bringing forth the sun. I'm trying to reveal my nature in, in, in a generational promise and, and then the appearance of that promise being here, it could almost be, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I get this vision of kind of being pulled in like two different systems. So if you think about the wineskins that we're in, we're, wineskin that we're in, we're already a year in. Yeah. 
So it's not like we can even really say we're transitioning. We are in full expansion. But the pull to have to establish what's being revealed, but at the same time activate that it's been revealed to be able to utilize what's been revealed to move forward. And it's like this, I don't, I don't know. Um, at least for me, like even when I'm lighting the candles and it's just like over and over and over again, it's almost like a, like when I say I'm over, it's like I'm, I'm over that old system that says we just gotta, we just gotta say the sun's revealed or we just, we just, or I don't know if that makes sense. That system that like what you were talking about, like it just, it releases all responsibility on, on, on us because it, it's about him. And yet all of Yeshua's life was, if you, once you recognize this paradigm shift, you begin to read the, the renewed covenant completely different because we had a mindset that because of him, right? Versus because of him, he pointed to something and he always was pointing to his father. So it was almost like we utilized, which we've talked about this before, but we've utilized the son to neglect the father. We've utilized the son to say he came to do a new thing and he came for me. So me and my sibling without the structure of family can just. And all he was trying to do was point us back to that structure or to that family structure or to his father. And so, anyways, I know we've talked about that before, but I'm sure it's stirring in the spirit because we're on the chapter where there's this huge prophetic foreshadowing yeah. of, of, of Yeshua himself. Yeah. Um, and so here we are in the last part of the Torah portions where, where he appears. Um, so I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that addresses. And I don't necessarily know. I mean, I know Megan had kind of spoken to it and sometimes it's always good to get that prophetic pulse corporately you know because we all have our, our pulses but then we are attached you know every joint supplies is not just a, a fun sermon I mean I'm sure for most of us it was a great sermon once a year we got to hear about every joint supply but think about it. if every joint supply then that means your frequency affects mine. My frequency affects you. Your your the the blood flow whatever is flowing. You have um uh you have a, a immune issue. The blood the the white blood cells are flow. It every joint supplies every so everybody is everybody's connected. And so sometimes it's just really good to get that prophetic pulse of. Can't remember exactly how she said it, but she said a um a quiet. What did you say? A quiet. You said something about a quiet, I don't know. I Quiet got loud. Yeah. When she said quiet, that got loud. And I could feel that, but I, I can't necessarily pinpoint where I'm feeling that. But I think, yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know because it's not practical. It's not like, it's not in the literal, but I do want us to be mindful that we do we do flow into one another and so when she said quiet that kind of got my attention you know i'm in my own busyness i'm in my own things and then when she said quiet then we we can fuel one another um 
it, 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 it reminds me of uh, what he just said when he said in the old system we would starve and then get really fed on Sunday and then and then and then right so then there but then something shifting for our family where we're eating daily you know it, it, I mean and we've been doing that we've been shifting our mindset in that but what he just said was that let this be a warning in the midst of the shift of the sun showing up that we don't fall track to that that once a, that once a week mentality, but to really be fueling uh, one another. So I think Missy had started with, you know, we missed this last week, but I didn't. Right. I mean, I missed being here physically, but 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 that doesn't stop what what Yahweh's doing. You know, the the Torah portions aren't on pause, and so still being able to, um, you know, hopefully we did not corporately have a mindset of like, well, we took last week off. Right. So the birth of Isaac has not happened. And now we're just going to jump into his sacrifice and enjoy the blessings of the sacrifice yeah. and not understand how we yeah. got here. Does, that's what I mean by in the spirit. I don't mean literally we didn't meet. I mean like by our hunger that we wouldn't be like, well, I was just really busy. And so like eight chapters just kind of went by. Because then what we're doing is, is then we're like we're, um, we're uh, pick, uh, picky eaters. Right, which we were afforded, we could do that before. Now, though, with what he with what he's showing us, if if the if the revealing of the sun is in the beginning, and that afford, then that brings us to the rest of the story, and we're part of that story. It just change, it just change, it just changes the way we function. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like. Um, Another another example that's that's coming to well, I mean obviously thinking about food is <clears throat> a lot of times if we're picky, not necessarily even picky, convenient eaters. Can I say that? Maybe yeah. not picky, convenient eaters. I was once in a lifestyle where I it was convenient eating and it was easy. It was the nearest thing that I could get. It was the quickest thing. I mean and 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 I if you guys know what I had uh, released on Voxer about the five versus the 10. Well, at least I'm a five. Well, up until that point, at least I ate natural, but it was still convenient eating. I did not eat for fuel, I ate for convenience. And I ate out of hunger, and I ate out of need, and I ate out of uh, what was there. It, it, fit, it had to fit my lifestyle. I don't know if this is making sense. Now, my entire perspective has changed that food is fuel, period. I don't have it, I don't live tomorrow. And if I don't have the right amount of it, then I, I don't, it changes hormones, it changes mood, it changes sleep, it changes, it changes everything, but it's a completely different relationship versus convenient eating versus eating to fuel and eating for purpose. Yeah. If we could just wrap our minds around that and how we would handle the word, you know, recognizing this is what builds, you know, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I'll, I'll kind of continue positioning us for this, uh, for what mom's going to release. So the first verse in this chapter, you know, it refers to things that have taken place in Yahweh testing Avraham. And he calls out to him, and the first thing he says is, Hineni. And we've heard that word, and we've heard that it generally means here I am, right? It's like a, we think of it as a Yahweh 
calling for you and you're at attention and you're responding to him and you're ready, right? That's, that's kind of, at least in and of myself, that's kind of what it sounds like. But I, I want to I wanna add to that, not me personally adding to that. I want to add more awareness of what that word means so that we can continue to engage the Torah portion like she's saying from a proper perspective. So it, it's not simply, here I am. It's actually... When Avraham said that, a lot of these things we have to understand the context of the culture. It wasn't just a simple response to Yahweh. What he was doing was he was declaring where he stands, because it also means here I stand. He was declaring where he stands, which this is what I'm talking about being vigilant. A lot of times you can ask somebody, where do you stand on a certain issue? And it's like, oh, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Right? The, the issue, everything that we're being taught right now, you need to know where you stand. Because in his response, he's declaring, this is where I stand and this is who I stand for, which is Yahweh. So his response is not just like, oh, I'm right here. I'm here. I'm present. Right? You can be present, but not know where you stand and not know who you stand for. I'm preaching to myself, man. I'm like, I'm like, re, I'm understanding that this is this is how Avraham was responding, because it's positioning him in a way to say yes before he he's being approached by Yahweh for something, and in his response, he's saying, "This is where I stand. I stand for you." And I'm ready to say yes to whatever you require of me without even knowing what it is. So then, you know, he tells him, take his son whom you love, Yitzhak. He talks about where he's going to go. He gets up early in the morning. And I want to I want to focus in on this one section. when he presents to his son what they're going to do. And let me just read it. So he got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took his two of his young men with him, and Yitzhak, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and got up and went to the place to which God had told him. He lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance said to his young men, sit down here. As for me, the young man will go over there, worship and return to you. Took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Yitzhak, his son, in his hand. He took the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. When one thing that's interesting to understand, she talked about how this prophetically refers to Yeshua, is that Yitzhak was approximately 30 years of age at this time. And... That's an interesting parallel, and also to know that he's able-bodied. He's an adult. And he essentially submitted to this whole process. And so you have a family positioning themselves 
in the in the manner of Hineni. And so I just wanna I just wanna like kind of put our, our minds in the proper paradigm that it's more than just Tyler, where's Tyler at? Oh I'm here. Here I am. Right? It's it's not it's not enough to just be present, to just, yeah, I'm right here. Right? It's a this is where I know where I stand. I know who I stand for, and I'm ready to do whatever's required for Yahweh's sake, right? The other thing is it's it goes beyond standing for a promise. Right? It's not enough to just stand for a promise, but Yahweh is really demanding of him, are you going to stand for the one that gives you that promise? We don't want to be people that just, we want to stand for promises and declare those things and, and stand for those things, but we have to remember that there's one who gives the promise and we're supposed to stand for him more than just the promise. And I think that's where that testing comes from. And I think we're at a place where we're being reintroduced to this. And Yahweh's pressing us past that wall of resistance. Right? Don't just stand for the things that He's promised you. Stand for the one who gives you the promise. Yeah, I had that I actually had that written down. Trust the promise versus trusting the promiser. Hmm. Going back to Hineni, um, another way another depth to it is it also means ready to be taught mm. so definitely it's the the spirit behind here i am is a positioning not what you know obviously what he's talking about not not a physical but it's definitely a position's heart to say you know he, he i mean he's he's called yahweh calls him by name yeah it's crazy abraham and his response was, I'm ready to be you. I'm ready to be taught. I'm ready to be molded. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. It's a, it's a positioning of, of a response. Um, and, and, and kind of going back to my, I, w- I just was getting stirred as he was talking, going back to my analogy with, with food is it is extremely inconvenient. I, I want us to be a people that... I'm not talking about Friday night. I don't believe that we are a company of people that just shows up on Friday and hears the word on Friday. That's not what I'm, that, that is, we are, I hope, way beyond that. I'm talking about even beyond that. I'm, I'm, I am talking about the, the inconvenience. Here's an example. When, 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 when he instructed me to be intentional, with certain things. One of them was water. He just said hydrate. I'm not kidding. I hated it because I had to pee. I know that sounds crazy, but as a mom, I don't got time to pee. I do not want to even have to go to the bathroom. I am busy. That's the level of inconvenience I'm talking about. Drink of him. He says, drink of me. So it's gonna co- it's gonna cost you some time. I, I, this, I know this is stupid, and I, this might sound like a stupid analogy, but I've got a stinking water cup, and it's 25 ounces. That means I have to fill up the thing four times, four times in a day. I have to be inconvenienced, go to the stinking water thing, and I gotta fill up the water, and then I gotta drink it, and then I gotta know, I know that I gotta pee. 
But if I'll do it for water, what happens when you're in the middle of work and you hear your name? Yeah. Will you say Hineni? Will you say yeah. I am beyond present? I am present. I'm yeah. willing. I'm movable. I'm it, to be that in, inconvenienced yeah. is yeah. that type of in. I mean, we've been talking about hosting and how right. inconvenient yeah. and 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 just thinking about um just thinking about us as a family. Like I said, I I'm not talking to us from the perspective of like we're reading our word more than once a week, right? And that's not what I'm, I'm talking about like 80 times a day. Yeah. yeah. Did you hear his voice yeah. 80 times a day? Yeah. Did you, did you, did you get into the work? Are you, are, I mean, I talked about this on Boxer. Where are we putting our attention to? Yeah. And I know it's so easy to be like, I have no time. Okay. Then I want you to log your scrolling. Because there was a time in my life where I said I have no more time. And then I realized I am scrolling on social media for an hour and a half before I go to bed. An hour and a, is this all right? Yeah. An hour and a half while I tell people I have no time. Yeah. An hour and a half. While I'm literally complaining to everybody about how busy and horrible it is. I, I don't have time to breathe. You're always over here like, mm. <laughs> So just a simple instruction. Yeah. He said, move yeah. your social media to the last page on your phone. Yep. There's probably like 85 notifications. I haven't even been on there. I don't even know what's on there. And I am getting so hungry for things that are outside of what I was filling my brain with. Because we've talked about this before, how filthy it was. And it's like a complete shift of how much more, meaning I'm always going to press the family for more. Well, how much more do you want me to do? I'm already in the word 80 times a day. Give me 90. The, I, I don't yeah. I don't mean that like literally for me I mean I feel like he's like and I, I like I wanted I want to transform your life and so it's just this huge shift in hunger because where before I had no time now I have all this time and then now I'm trying to find time yeah I had no yeah. time yeah. now I want the time now I am rearranging everything to figure out the time yeah. now I'll wake up 45 minutes earlier because I want more time yeah it's what I do before I go to bed it's the first thing I wake up and I'm already nuts. So I hope I'm being transparent enough to wreck it. Like I'm already, while, while people are watching movies, I'm in the word. While people are wanting to watch football, I'm listening to sermons. I am just weird. <laughs> I'm already weird. And I feel like he, he wants uh, a, a people, the hunger, oh, how do I say this? The more you're hungry, the more you eat, the more you will be fueled. It's a, it's a whole transformative shift. <laughs> Think about it. When you're, when you're starving and you don't eat, you can kind of sustain on that lifestyle and you actually slow your metabolism down and you're not hungry. I'm not saying that yeah. you're not starving and you'll eat, but then you'll, you'll you know, convenient. But you, you actually slow your system down and then you're not hungry. You begin to eat more. You actually get hungrier. The more you fuel, the more hungry you are because your body's like, I'm awake and I'm alive and I yeah. want more. Mm. So it's shifting from starvation and actually being okay to not wrestle through the word for a week at a time, 24 hours at a time, wherever you're at, a month at a time. To all of a sudden, you can't live an hour without feeling hunger pains because you're so fueled by the nourishment. 
If it happens on earth, it will happen in the it happens in the spirit. If your bodies were created to function that way on earth, it's going to happen in the spirit. So if you're like, well, I don't really have a hunger for it, just start eating. There was a regiment that I had to go through. I could, did not want, it was so much food, I was nauseous. I could not eat any more food. I had a coach being like, I don't care. This is how much food you need. I did not want to eat that much. I couldn't eat that much. I was like stuffing myself. So now I am still stuffing myself and I am starving because I want more. See how, see how that works? Yeah. But it took that initial phase to just eat yeah. in order to transform your body. Yeah. So going back to the very beginning, Abraham, Hineni, that's the, that, that word, that's what that means, is to be present and to say, I am teachable. Teach me what you want me to do, because whatever I've been doing, I want more. Make sense? Yeah. And I'm talking that detailed. There were moments in the practical where I have to actually ask, what am I doing in this next hour? What am I? What? So then it's 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 being teachable to that to that degree. All right. Um. There is so much in this chapter. I honestly don't know where to start. That was just me just wanting to address some things. Um, I want to read verse 3 in maybe a little bit of a different light because I want us to understand, again, my heart with these Torah portions is to release his character, to release who he is. And I think it's significant that he's very specific right off in verse 2. He's like super specific. So I want to kind of read it this way. Well, first of all, let me go back to, um, he talked about being tested. Because, I mean, yeah, we're in verse one. We're, we're on tested. The, the consonants of the word tested are the exact same letters as banner. So will you show your tattoo? So the word... Jehovah Nisi, Nisi is banner. The same word, the same consonants are in tested. I want us to have a different relationship with the word tested. What does that mean, Abraham's going to test me? That word test has a very Western culture, black and white kind of hmm. feel. If you look at it from the perspective of when you're tested, you have his banner, and it's not to produce something but it's to reveal something so when you're tested he, he's never he's not going to test you if you can't pass correct i mean i'm assuming if you're a teacher i don't give my kids a test unless they've been taught what to test like you do a test at the end i mean unless you're doing a pretest to calibrate but right you don't get a test unless you're going to pass. Yeah. So the purpose of the test, a teacher's purpose of the test is to pass their students, not yeah. to, yeah. you know, unless you had a bad experience, but it's not supposed to be like, here, hope you fail. Because then really it would be a fail on teacher. Mm -hmm. So his heart is to not produce something in a test, but to reveal something. 
So I want us to have the relationship that when you're tested, it's because it can be revealed in you what's in you. Think about Abraham up until this point. What have we been teaching on with him? He has been trained. He has been trained and taught and corrected and trained and taught and corrected. And so this test, actually, the um, some of the commentary, this is not in the scripture, but some of the commentary actually thinks that this chapter was his 10th test. Meaning up until this point, he had been tested nine times and this was the, the final test. So this is not new for him to be operating in these type of tests. So again, in and out of season, being ready for those tests. Um, but I just thought it was awesome to study that, that niece, it's the same letters as banner. So God uh, exalted him by giving him a test, which proved his utter faithfulness. Um, okay. In verse two, he gets very detailed. And so I want us to just read it this way because yes, Abraham clearly did not contest, right? It doesn't show any kind of, I don't know about that. I mean, he was immediately obedient, but I don't want to dismiss the context of ignorance um, when I read this. Okay, the reason why I say that is in verse two, it says, take your son. The way that this was written out was Avraham has unrecorded questions. So the conversation says, take now your son. Avraham says, I have two sons. Of which one are you speaking? God replies, your only son. Avraham says, each of my sons is the only son of his mother. God continues, the son whom you love. To which Abraham replies, I love them both. And God made it complicit, said, take Isaac. Regardless of how you read that, the point is, is I don't want us to, to forget that Abraham has a relationship where we've already learned that he talks to Yahweh. And so it's not from a place of, what are you talking about? Why? What are you going to do? It wasn't like that. But you can also tell that Yahweh's like, take your son. Which one? Your only son. <laughs> Whom you love, right? Isaac. Like he's just being very detailed with Abraham about what to do. So thinking about that when we say, well, you know, you know, Yahweh's asking us to do something that it's okay for him to be very detailed. Even when he says, now go to the land of Moriah, tells him exactly where to go. At the same time, he also says, but I'll tell you when you get there. Have we heard that a lot about Yahweh's character? I'll go with you. I'll meet you when you're there. Like he gives them, he gives the direction and then says, you'll know that final, you'll know that final place. So again, for us to be read, for us to understand how he'll function with us. I mean, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I feel like he's always giving me a direction. Go here. I'll tell you when we get there. Yes. And I'm like, because mm -hmm. <laughs> how many of us are like, I want to know what, where, yeah. why, when, how, yeah. and I will only say he named me when I understand. Yeah. Abraham doesn't understand any of this. Yeah. He gets specific directions and he's immediate in his response. Okay. Um, he talked about this, but just to give some context, it does say in that first, um, sentence it says after these things if you guys remember in the last Torah portion we had Ishmael casted out and also got married so at the time that Ishmael was casted out he was at least 14 years old and now he's married at the time that he was casted out we know that Isaac was at least three 
So we know that Isaac in this scripture is definitely a young man, and uh, many people think that he was actually the age of 37, because in the next Torah portion, we learn when Sarah dies. And it is said that Sarah dies when she hears about what happens in this whole situation. And you can mathematically figure out that she was a certain age when she dies at 127. You subtract what she, when she had Isaac and he's 37, around 37, in the 30s. Some people say 33. Either way, we know, like he said, that he is a, he is a young man at least. And that he is, I want us to look at this chapter two ways. This is definitely about the faith of Abraham. But sometimes we miss the faith of Isaac. Because I could talk all night about what Abraham did. But Isaac is just this quiet. But it's not like he's five. He knows. You know. And, and, and the trust, and, and oh, I mean, there's so, there, there's so much. One of the things about Avraham, before I get into too much of that, is Avraham says he nani to Yahweh, and then a few sentences down, he says it to his son. So he says, here I am to his son. You see Avraham being able to function in what we've talked about, both vertical and lateral submission. A positioning to Yahweh and a positioning this way to be able to move forward together. So that is uh, super powerful because obviously this is something that 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 they were accustomed to. You didn't all of a sudden think about think about this. You didn't just all of a sudden build a relationship with your thirty year old son. Right. Right. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't just. Ha- it didn't just happen. There's a cultivation in this relationship where you see their relationship on display. And again, this is a foreshadowing of what we're learning about Yahweh and Yeshua. And who they are to us and how they operate. But, okay. Um, I want to talk, going back up a little bit, about Mount Moriah. Um, the, there's a lot in this, and I don't probably have a whole lot of time, but let me, let me just say this. The word Moriah is the word to see. And you'll see it later on in verse 8 where it talks about provision. A lot, this mountain basically gets named the mountain of provision. Yehovah Yiri. It's talking about his provision. So when we tap into another name that comes forth about his provision, there's something that is being seen here when he says, go to, the Mount, go to Mount Moriah. Because the actual word Mariah means to see, and it means chosen by Yah. So it's actually provision. Now, Mount Mariah, this this is kind of where I'll just land. This is prophetic because this is the mountain that Yeshua was on. So this is on the eastern edge of Jerusalem. So you're, up until this point, a lot of the sacrifices had happened right right where they were. This was normal in their culture. What was it that Yahweh said, go to a place? And if you notice, they walked how many days? Three days. We are seeing a picture before our eyes. Because the moment that the sacrifice was called, called he was reckoned to death on that day. And it took three days for redemption to happen. So there's a lot there's a lot in this, but Mount Moriah is prophetic, and it's talked about in uh, 
Chronicles, there's, there's a lot that happens on this mount, but it also is prophetic for Yeshua as well. And again, it means to see, which when I say see, I'm not talking about see. It means I understand. He sees for himself. He provides for himself a sacrifice. So it's that kind of um, chosen word. It's also prophetic for the temple that, that, is, uh, that was going to be built. Again, the city of Jerusalem. So there's, there's a lot in all of that. Okay, moving on to verse 3. Abraham gets up early in the morning. He was given this instruction to give up his son, and he rises early. Again, going back to the inconvenience talk. You know, I, I'm assuming he didn't sleep well, and then he wakes up early, and he doesn't ask his servants to donkey and to saddle the donkey and do all of that. He does it himself. He had plenty of servants to be able to do it, but it was a zeal within him to be able to do what it is that Yahweh asked him to do on his, on his own. Yeah, I think I'm on verse 8. Uh, there's a couple of, one of the things that I'll do is I'll try to find first, and it says, um, sorry, I'm trying to find where it says, and um, we will go over there. Verse 5. All the way up there? Yeah, I'm like all the way on eight already. Um, this is interesting. Abraham says to his young men, sit yourselves down here with the donkey. As for me and the young man, we'll go over there, worship, and return to you. So a couple things. This is the first time we see worship. So just, again, I like to look at first because it's the first time we've been introduced to something. So go to the, go to the original intent. So we're trying to figure out what is worship. This is the first time it talks about worship. And it's not necessarily they're going on the mountain to like dance, but to bow down. So that word actually means bow down. What's really interesting, it says, we will return to you. Mm-hmm. Abraham, what was he doing? Was he faking them out? Was he really thinking, yeah, he's not going to make me do this? It, it, so I want, okay. You could read that and be like, well, that's the reason why Abraham was so obedient. Because he knew he wasn't going to make him do it. Because he, he says some things in here that make it seem like he's so faithful that you're like, did you guys have like a backside <laughs> conversation that Moshe didn't want us to know about? Because he says, we will return to you. He only, it was only, if you stay here, there's only two of them going up there. And he says, we're going to come back. Okay. I want to read Hebrews 11. 17 through 19. Because in Hebrews, this part is interpreted. Isn't the word so much fun? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people from the dead. So Abraham absolutely brought that knife. If he didn't have faith, he would have just brought, he would have just left the knife. He brought the knife fully intending to do it, but the scripture is interpreted that his faith was, but I know 
But I know that you said that my descendants mm -hmm. will come from this man. Therefore, you will raise him from the dead. Which is exactly what happened with Yeshua. But that's the faith that Abraham was walking in. Not, hey, we're going to return to you because there's a way around the cross. Yeah. There's a loophole that he's not going to mm. test me like that. Come on. It was a full knowing, oh, I'll be tested. But in that test, he will remain faithful to his promise. Unto death and unto life. Isn't, I mean, that's in Hebrews. And then we read Hebrews as Christians and think, well, that, yeah, that's a, of course, that's a great story. Isaac's a great story through the lens of Yeshua and just kind of read through that. Like, well, yeah, he'll raise Yeshua from the dead. Am I making sense? But from this Torah portion moving forward, it's a whole different perspective of who our father is. Or shed light on, on what it is, what was Abraham saying when he boldly says, we're going to go worship and we're going to come right back. Yeah. Not because it wasn't going to happen, but because he knew that he knew resurrection from the dead would happen. Hmm. Um, moving on to the, after, in verse 8, just a, if you just want to underline it to just rest in that, that God will provide for himself a lamb. Um Again, that word provide is huge in this chapter because of Moriah and what he chooses to name that mountain is that Yahweh will provide. So again, we're talking about that kind of faith that no matter what he asks of us or no matter what the test is, that we would be so faithful through the test that he is going to provide. And a lot of times we're, we're asking for provision to be a way out when the provision is a way through hmm. or a way in, right? We're thinking that his provision is going to stop the test or to take right. us around it. Right. That would mean he's provided. Yep. But in reality, what he's saying here is that my provision is through you. My provision is through your, your trust, your faithfulness, your sacrifice, not... Yeah. Not a, not a, and and so that so then you even see um, a different way to see Savior. Well, He saved me from. Mm. No, He saved you through. Yeah. He, mm. he, he. It's like a, it's that great, it's that great exchange. Yeah. It's it's, it's being in the suffering. With Him, for Him to be able to exchange it, not to. Yeah. I don't know. That, does that make it, does that make sense? Yeah. That's good. I think it's powerful um, that the two of them walked on together. <laughs> um, yeah. Just just them walking together. Um, they came to a place which God had told them. Abraham built the altar there, laid out the wood, bound up uh, Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Um... I'm trying to decide if I want to just like lay out the the similarities because like I said we can talk about Abraham but then I think about even just those sentences of you know the altar being built Isaac carrying up the wood 
we see that that is a pattern of Yeshua. He carried up wood up the hill. All of all of those things, all of those things line up. But what is so powerful is that Abraham had to be obedient to Yahweh, but the son had to be obedient to his father. And so, to me, it is super powerful that they walked together and they they both were carrying things to provide for the sacrifice. It wasn't. It wasn't um, one way or the other, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, one thing, well, not one thing, but one big part of all of this is that, again, there's detailed instructions, but we don't know how. So Yahweh's telling him, he keeps saying a lamb will be provided. He keeps saying that a sacrifice will be provided, but he doesn't know how, but he's obedient before he, did, he has no idea how it's going to happen. He just is being obedient to what Yahweh told him. And I want us to remember that as a family, that a lot of times it's not, you're not going to know how, but being obedient to. And again, this, this helps safeguard us that we are trusting and obedient to the promiser and not the promise itself. Because a lot of times we can put the promise ahead of him and then ultimately worship the promise over the promiser and to remember that in that helps safeguard us from doing that by being able to understand that he wants to be the he wants to be the head not what he provides and so it helps safeguards us by being able to not know the how because he doesn't want you to put the how above him because he wants him to be him does that make sense before I get into the angel of the Lord stopping him, I, I, want, I want us to acknowledge that this Torah portion is offensive. And I think that there's purpose in that because we need to understand that, that everything that Yahweh did for us is contrary to human nature. Yep. Meaning, it's not like human sacrifice was abnormal in this time. Human sacrifice was going on in all of the other regions. Human sacrifice wasn't, this wasn't like, there was pagan gods and there was Yahweh. And Abraham had to discern and be that keen to not say, so what are you, a pagan god now? Because human sacrifice is demonic. So stick that into your theology. If human sacrifice is demonic, how does this whole gospel thing work? Because yeah. he sacrificed his son. I mean, Abraham didn't, but, but, but Yahweh, Yahweh did. And so you, you, have, to, you have to rightly divide and discern. Think about in today's world. Sometimes I can't figure out what's the father and what's Satan based on a Facebook post. <laughs> and Abraham had to know, are you a pagan God or are you my God? Because he had to walk in faith that this wasn't demonic. I know that this yeah. is a great story, but yeah. there are people post Yeshua that have claimed that they heard Yahweh's voice and killed their kid. And said it was sacrifice. Well, first of all, let me just say this right now. Yeshua did it. So none of you are going to be asked by Yahweh. Yeah. So it's... It, 
But but Abraham is pre all of this. So I just this whole Torah portion is offensive. I mean they've all been offensive. But it's just it, it, it offends us because it messes with your your theology and your thought process. But this is the depth he wants us to get to to understand the type of love and the type of father that he is. Because it has to be contrary to our human nature for him to express what he did and what he does for us. Does that make sense? It has to offend our thinking. It has to exist out of the realm of personal uh, understanding. It has to. If it doesn't, then there's no miracle. It has to exist out of the realm of our understanding of what does all of this mean? Because he wants us to understand who he, who he is. And obviously his ways and his, his thoughts and his ideas are way greater than ours. So it needs to be offensive to, to our human nature. I am not sure how to, um, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time in this Torah, pers- Torah portion having the words because of how significant, I, I feel like it's like, the greatest part of the gospel in one in one thing and so it's um the the foreshadowing is just crazy but again it go it's it's offensive because we've been taught up until this point and throughout all of the scripture that fathers love their sons and here we have a father that's willing to sacrifice him so it just kind of messes with you. Like what kind of father is Avraham then if he's just willing to kill him, right? I mean, I don't know. However you read it, you could just be yeah. like, what is, what is going on here? You know, I mean, who who the son you love. Oh, really? But think about it. I know that sounds crazy because we know the end of the story, but how many of us walk on a daily basis? The, the daughter whom you love. Oh, really? As you're walking me up the mountain with a knife in your hand? <laughs> I mean, any of the tests he takes us to, it'd be so easy to turn to the father and be like, really? I'm the one you love? Yeah. We, it's easy to bypass that thought process because we know the end. But if you don't go through that, then you don't know what he loved you for. So you have to let it offend you instead of just jumping to the end and being like, well, he, lo- he loves us. Trying to understand what kind of, this is what I want us to understand. What kind of love is it that a father would sacrifice his own son on earth in reality? Not from the Christian story we've heard. Right? You've heard that a million times. What kind of father would give up his own son for you? Amen. Okay, insert yourself there. What kind of father loves beyond to be willing to sacrifice his own son? There's a love there that we don't. I don't think we understand. And actually, let me just go there. I've got to find the scripture. Because the first time we see love is in this Torah portion. i got to find it. You're looking for where he said love. Mm-hmm. But when we see this, this, relation, this relationship that we see, um, I, I have to. Find, I've got to find it so I can read it. It's at the end. Mm-hmm. I'll have to come back to that. I'm gonna come back to that. But uh, ultimately, what it what it is is that when we when we see this type of love in this Torah portion, 
we're seeing it first between a father and a son, which I find interesting because you'd think you'd see it with husband and wife. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily teaching on that, but we have to understand the depth of his love is being released through a portion between father and son. And from that, the DNA spreads to everything. And, um, and we're seeing it through promise and covenant in, in, that, in that type of relationship is happening here in this Torah portion. I have like all these notes off to the sides. And sometimes, well, I don't know, I'm sure that this happens with you guys because of all the different directions you can go, but I feel like I've got like 85 things, and then it's not until I get here by the Spirit that I can't tell, because obviously we can't hit on all 85, so I'm like trying to figure out like which one do we hone in on. Um, Okay. I want to, I'm going to move on to when he's told to stop that the angel of the Lord, um, and he says, he named me. Then he said, do not reach out your hand against the young man. Do nothing to him at all. For now I know that you are one who fears God. You did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a ram. Um, so he took the ram. And then this is when he says that Adonai Yiri, which means he provides. Then it says the angel of Adonai called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, now I want us to hear what it is that's being said so you can see who's talking. It says, by myself I swear it is a declaration of Adonai because you have done this thing. To me there, Yeshua is speaking because he says that this is a declaration of Adonai. So again, in this moment in history, Yeshua is also making himself making himself known when he says um, that this is a declaration. Because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, your only son, I will richly bless you and multiply your feet. Um, what is significant there is he said, you did not, um, he's talking about me when he says, like, you, you did not withhold. And so to... He's basically telling him that the object of Abraham's devotion is himself. And so there's just that great exchange there that he's acknowledging that he did that for him. And so he's acknowledging that it's himself that that was for. Um, He reiterates the covenant blessings. And then um, I want to make sure that this is clear because we do talk about this all the time, that the covenant blessing is restated, right? This is not a new blessing. This is the same blessing. So again, the covenant is not, it's not um, a reward for his obedience. But his obedience is the fruit of his relationship that gives him the reward. So again, just want to keep reiterating that because we talk about that all the time. What's what's first or what's second? You know, him or us. And a lot and, and we can pendulum swing on either side to where we either choose to be obedient because we have to be obedient in order to earn, but then you can pendulum swing to the other side and say, Well, I don't really have to do anything because he's good. So we're trying to blend that vertical and lateral to being able to understand that it is only because of him. And it first is from him. 
but because of him, we walk that out in obedience. So again, he's saying that your destiny is, is going to bless the nations and it's more than the, than the, you know, the sand on the sea. And it absolutely is because he, he passed the test. But remember, he was already promised that. So you have to reconcile. I have to pass the test. At the same time, he is going to cause me to pass the test. He's going to train me and cause me to pass the test because it's an overflow of being in a relationship with him because he already said I was going to have the seed, that the seed was going to come. He already knew that. So you're moved to prove righteousness because you're already righteous. So he already had the blessing, so he was moved to walk out that blessing. And because of that, he has the blessing. Amen? Amen. Man, this, um, these Torah portions are mind-blowing. Just the everything being released, I can feel it transforming our minds. And, and just how she talked about, I think when most people read these initially, it is offensive because we can we can take advantage and and reconcile the story of Yahweh giving his son because we benefit from that but we don't want to put ourselves in the position in any part of this story so um, well and how multi-dimensional is it because Yeshua ultimately in this Torah portion is both yeah. Yeah. I mean, because he, he, you have to see it from so many, when he says in, like, like, what he just said is offensive. We're okay to receive the son because Yahweh can sacrifice his son for me. Right. But God forbid I have to sacrifice anything. Yes. And ha- carry the same DNA. But if Abraham's my father and I'm supposed to walk like the, him, Sometimes it's lofty to say, well, you're, you have to be like Yahweh. Well, he's up there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but these Torah portions make his story real on earth because they're walking out a foreshadowing on earth. Yeah. But Yeshua was both the son and the ram. Yeah. So when you're reading the story, in the end, Yahweh is not a pagan god. Because he did not want the sacrifice of the son. He wanted something else. And ultimately showed the story through the ram. Because the ram is the replacement. The sacrifice still had to happen. He didn't just say, just kidding. Yeah. The sacrifice still had to happen. There still had to be a sufficient sacrifice. And that was the ram. So in this story, you've got Abraham, Yahweh, Yeshua, Isaac. But then you also have Isaac being uh, replaced with the ram. So you're seeing it in both. You're, you're, you're seeing a foreshadowing of his story in, in both, both ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Isaac is taking on the same thing, walking up the hill, carrying the wood. The, the, the love of a father to be able to, to, sacrifice, to sacrifice in that way. And then ultimately, in the end, also the ram taking, taking its place. And we've taught about this during Pesach, but during this time, this appointed time, is Pesach. So it's kind of an added thing, but we have not gotten to the, the times and the seasons yet. Well, we already know that there are times and seasons because of Genesis. We are to govern the times and seasons. Well, we haven't gotten into 
that yet. It hasn't been introduced. But we know that Yahweh doesn't go, here's a good idea. And then just because it gets inserted into scripture, it all of a sudden happens. So the times and seasons are happening. So it's not like we've been taught on Pesach yet. This is Pesach. When you study it, it's not, it doesn't say the month in here, but when you study it, this is Pesach. So this this is happening during that feast. And so you and it's the same thing with like Acts and um and Shabuot, how everything lines up prior to us knowing about Pesach, right? My point is Exodus hasn't happened yet. Right. We're in Genesis. Right. So we do not have the blood on the doorpost yet. But when he asks them put the, to put the blood on the doorpost, the, their ancestors already know that this is what Abraham had done with Isaac and the ram was replaced at the exact same time. So in the doorpost, the blood on the doorpost, that's offensive too. But that, they knew these stories and they knew the times and the seasons and how they lined up. So then it all they're, they're educated in his system. They're educated in his system. So it wouldn't be, not that it wouldn't be offensive, but it wouldn't be offensive because they were educated in that system. It's offensive when we're not educated in that system. Yeah. If when she asked the question, what kind of love is that, that Avraham is demonstrating? I think it, so stepping out of this and looking at ourselves, when I think of myself, the question I have is what kind of posture do I maintain compared to the father of our faith? And how conditional is it? What type of conditions do I, un, not necessarily consciously, like I'm saying, well, you have to do this and this and this, but subconsciously I believe this Torah is going to expose what type of conditions am I putting on Yahweh when he calls for me. And the type of love that she's talking about, it's loving beyond the promise and ultimately knowing that it's Yahweh himself. And I think when you, with this, this, this Torah portion is crazy because I feel like that is, that is a good picture of Christianity is loving the promise. And not that you shouldn't love the promise, but what Yahweh's demanding and what he's pressing to reveal in us. I thought that was amazing. To be tested is just revealing something that's already in you. So we should know from this that it's in our DNA to love Yahweh. Not just his son and what he can do for us, right? I think it's pretty amazing to the level of surrender that he's calling us to, that our posture would be totally surrendered to him with zero conditions. Even if he's promised you, I mean, how, remember how long, how long he's been promised this seed and then he lives with that promise for three decades. How many of us would, right, contend for a promise? We'd stand for it. We'd pray for it. We'd have people praying for us for that promise. And then we get it. And then we're living with it. And then Yahweh says, give it back to me. <laughs> like, I think a lot of us, I, me personally, I, that would be tough. All the things that I've prayed for for my entire adult life that I haven't seen come to fruition yet, if he brings those things to fruition and then says, now give it back to me, I, I, I'm probably going to struggle with that. 
But the father of our faith is like his post, his immediate response was, "Here I am, Te- like test me." That's pretty amazing. So I would I would think of that. That's what I'm going to go home thinking about is what what are those things that I would put conditions on? Because when I reconcile my current state against this, um, this is not anywhere near where I'm at. So what are those things that I'm putting on Yahweh that I'm ultimately not trusting Him for? I've got a question, and I don't know if you're listening to this whole process, listening to this, we've all heard this story over and over again. We always reflect on, you know, being a dad, and if the Lord told me I needed to sacrifice one of my sons, I'd be like, you know, Grand Mike walk is probably a lot different than Abraham's was, but if the Lord told me I needed to sacrifice one of my sons, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, you know, like you're saying, but the question I have is, do you think Isaac was obedient because of his understanding of the relationship that he and his dad had? With Lord, or do you think he had his own understanding and his own relationship, and he was okay with it because he was being obedient to his immediate worldly father? So I think if you if you look at verse seven, so you have you have the father saying we're gonna prepare a sacrifice right and so Isaac as an adult I believe he had his own understanding of that so he's like well we have two out of the three aspects of this sacrifice where's the actual thing we're going to sacrifice and when he says my father and he says here I am I believe the dynamic that the son perceived was his father's stance in relation to Yahweh. So then he put the pieces together that I'm part of this sacrifice. And after that interaction, they walk, they go together. So, I mean, understanding Hineni, I believe he knew when his father said, here I am, son, here I am. He knew that was a declaration ultimately on his relationship to Yahweh in that he he was ultimately submitted to that. So I, I I see submission in this and I would to me the pieces are there that he he understood his his role in this. Just like Yeshua, right? If you parallel the two, Yeshua didn't necessarily want to drink of that cup. You know, he said let it pass, but then when Yahweh told him it's time, you know, he knew that that's what he was born for. Um, so I think in that moment, he was submitted. He fully knew what was going on, and he was submitted to it. Well, and I think if he wasn't being, let's say, 33, 35, 37 years old, when he was tied up, you'd think at some point he'd be like, no! Yeah, because how old is Abraham at this I mean, point? he's 100 years old. I mean, it's not like he's able. I mean, I mean he's definitely able, but you know what I mean? It's, it's he, had to, he had to be... Yeah, um, so I think that, I mean, and I don't know, but if Hebrews says that Abraham's faith was that his son would raise from the dead, 
then I can only imagine that Isaac had that same faith. Then if this is the way it's going to go, I will rise. Just like Yeshua knew mm-hmm. that, that 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 I don't want to drink of this cup, but also knew I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna rise. You know, so I would think that that would be a cult, a cultural thing. And we see that Abraham did have practice. I mean, he just had to get rid of Ishmael. A lot less crazy yeah. Yeah. than with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. But he did. But he did have practice in. You need to. You need to drive him out. You know. Um, so it's not like he. It's not like it was foreign to, to sacrifice. You know. And again, him being trained in that. So. And I, I, I was, I was wrong. It wasn't at the end. The revelation came at the end. So I was thinking that it was coming at the end when I was talking about love, in the beginning where it says, "The son whom you love." That's the first time we see the word love. Something big is going on here if we want to understand what happened with Yahweh and Yeshua. Because the first time he introduces love, like I said, I thought that that would have come in Genesis with uh, Adam and Eve. But he says, be fruitful, multiply. I'm not preaching don't love. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying, be fruitful, multiply. The first time love in a covenantal relationship that has to do with the sacrifice for the future generations, for the blessing, that kind of love is, is, is expressed through a father and a son, which is powerful for us to understand because it's the father and the son relationship that is what's fueling us now post-resurrection. It's that kind of love. I mean, this is when he introduces the concepts of love. I mean, how many times do we have to talk about love and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, this is the, the go, again, go back to the origin. What is love? I've heard many things on love. Go back to the origin, original word. I mean, that, that's, that's a way to, that's a way to, that is a way to study scripture theologically. Go back to the first time it's introduced. It opens yeah. something up when, when you go back to the first time it's introduced. The first time it's introduced, love is between a father and a son. The son that you love and the way that he walks then this out is an expression for us to understand that there is no greater love than a, than a father who will, or a son who will lay down his life. You know, so to go back to Dwayne's, there was a, there's a culture there of love that no greater love than this that Isaac would lay himself out on the wood. Amen. And then through that portion, then we know that there is no greater love that Yahweh would do the, that same thing for, for us because we're watching it on earth, what that looks like. I mean, I know that that's obvious, but I feel like it has to like set in. Hmm. That's really uh, like powerful to hear, but like for myself, one thing I hear in a lot of it is the level of trust uh, for Abraham to have. To, to have that level of obedience is so foreign to our culture. We are a culture of independence versus a culture that was so dependent. Uh, like, like, Today, this Friday, is our first fruit offering. It's a time that, like, the, like, it's a word to us, but it was a placement of honor for the best of your harvest. And so, that just shows how far, far different it is for us that 
I mean, we don't farm. We don't like our, our provision is different than their provision. So then there's a deeper depth to knowing, like when he's using the word like God will provide when we get there, <laughs> is different than how we understand God will provide. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a very, it's a more life and death. <laughs> will provide than it is to us in our culture that we have known now. Um, but it really highlights the necessity of like what we dig into through the week, the way to have that level of, I only say this because I don't have that. Like the same thing would be difficult for me. If it was asked of me, my son, I immediately analyze that I have not poured in to the, this relationship between Yahweh and myself to the point that I can trust that I could even contemplate that. Like it, it's a huge check that as we go this week, like I need to know you in this. And, and it's more of a, I mean obviously yeah. the, the whole move to move out of complacency, this would be a, a move to hunger for mm-hmm. the life of yourself and your family like uh, to that level of tenacity and it's a huge like ch- like a check for myself that that's not the level that I've been uh, pursuing this with and, and if, if it's that serious if it's that life and death that you could hear something that far off and say yes I, I, I'm not there but also that as we go this next week to recognize that is the level or that is the expectation of pursuit in in knowing him meaning take the next Torah portion very serious and, and like mom was saying wake up earlier or stay up later like there's not necessarily an excuse but not just for a check it off for a what is in here like what what in yeah. what in me is is lacking that I'm not even desiring that level of relationship it was just uh really this has been a really powerful one that that yeah amen i was i'm just gonna add one thing i when he talked about i just want to make sure that out of out of all even in all of this i still am not even really knowing where to land so from tonight when he says Am I close enough with Yahweh that I would be able to have enough strength to contemplate the sacrifice of Zeke? Pretty offensive. <laughs> but remember what we talked about tonight. It's not, we're still nearsighted if all we heard is that he wants to get to a place that he would contemplate sacrificing him. What I heard was, could I know him so much that I would have faith that in the sacrifice he would be raised from the dead? Because it's that kind of father that's going to get through sickness. It's that, mm-hmm. that, it's that kind of yeah. father that's going to be able to <laughs> hand them off to college. It's that kind of father that's going to be able to give them to a wife. It's that kind of father that's going to be able to get through financial yeah. issues. It's that kind of father that says, no matter the test, you will live. Yeah. It's that kind of father Amen. that we need in the house. Right. Amen. And that's the kind of father that Abraham was walking out. Yeah. And so... so to, so going back to the checklist that we talked about on Boxer, if this becomes a checklist, then you are not walking in the scriptures that saying raising from the dead is milk. 
He's, he's reintroducing us to some things so that we're not just drinking milk. Yeah. And the things that we think that are milk are far off. Yeah. Because it's been a checklist. Yeah. And it's been, it's yeah. been a separated thing. Well, this is here and this is what it says, but because we're not letting it read us and get into us and transform our DNA, we're not actually believing that raising from the dead is just milk. That's why I think the culture Abraham was like, think about it. If, if that was milk, I'm not saying that that was easy. But Yahweh, I'm, like I said, I'm not saying that Yahweh and Yeshua, that whole process of death was easy. But at the same time, if resurrection from the dead is mere milk. So I, so a couple things. I looked this up because I thought, I want to know the sand on the ground like i want to know what kind of number that is because he says that your nations are going to be blessed the descendants you know the 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 sands on the sea it's 10 to the 25th power it's a lot of zeros so i want us to just think outside of again we're reading this story but it's unto something so I have written on here some questions because when I read things, I'll write down like for what? Okay. Power of his resurrection. The power to the power of his re resurrection. Obtain power of God for what? Right? Like we want his power for what? In our, in our little chapter, it's like, well, I need, I, I, but Abraham and Isaac was operating of a blessing for descendants 10 to the 25th power, right. not today. Yes, today, but it was for something. It was under something. So even in that shifting that this isn't a checklist yes. because I'm part of something that is about something, right. 10 to the 25th power. We're still trying to find 10 to the 25th power. Yeah. That black... That blessing was given to Abraham so that the seed could come through Yeshua, who is not done yet. That means all nations will be blessed is still open-ended. It's possible now. I'm not saying that it didn't happen through Yeshua. Yeshua just made it possible. Right. He didn't say it's done because then we'd be in heaven and we'd have 10 to the 25th power. He gave access to all of the nations. So because of Yeshua, he gave us access to the 10 to the 25th power. You are part of that power. Right. Yes. So then when you're walking, okay, why do I want his power? Why do I want him to overcome all obstacles? Yes, overcome all my obstacles, but overcome all the obstacles. Yes to get to 10 to the 25th power. Yeah. Getting through those, because when Abraham was doing it, it was for what? To get groceries the next day? I'm pretty sure he wasn't sacrificing his son and being obedient to Yahweh so that like they could have a better job. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, live in a better environment, I don't, whatever, right. whatever yeah. it is. It was for the nations, it was right. for that promise, right? right? So for what? Establishing the fullness of his covenant promises. For what? To establish the covenant promises. Yeah. Well, even to some of us that might be like, 
So then you have to ask, what are the covenant promises? Because if it's for the fullness of the covenant promises, then it doesn't really mean anything to you because it doesn't have like a... I don't know. Uh, what am I trying to say? If he says, yeah, if he says, I'm going to, I'm going to overcome all the obstacles. Why? To fulfill all of the covenant promises. Well, then you might want to know what all the covenant promises are. Because if you just hear that I'm going to go through every single obstacle so that I can fulfill the covenant promise, you're going to be like, unless you're fulfilling my need, then I don't really feel like you're fulfilling any covenant. What You've got to figure out what the covenant promise is or you're going to get stuck in the sand of your own need. Right. And you won't sacrifice anything. Yep. You, you won't understand the bigger picture for nothing. Yeah. Yep. So, so if you, so, okay, why? Why do we want him to, why do we want to have, why do we want power? To overcome obstacles. Why do we want him to overcome obstacles? So he can fulfill the covenant promise. Because the, the, the covenant promise is not fulfilled yet. It's fulfilled. Right? We've learned this. Not that it's done away. It has access to be filled up. He gave us an example to fulfill. Now he says, you are going to do greater than me. So go and fulfill. So the covenant, so it's for the the covenant promises to be fulfilled. Well, what are the promises? What's the promise? Some of us are just trying to figure out what the promise is for tomorrow. I don't care about tomorrow. I don't care. What what is the what is the fulfillment of promises? It is um, to obtain for himself a chosen people. It is for him to have 10 to the 25th power back to himself. That's yeah. the promise. That's what you're fighting for. Yeah. But unless yeah. you're able to see that that's what you're fighting for, fighting for, you can get stuck in the weeds. And then you have no idea why Abraham's even doing any of this stuff. Yeah. Does that make it like the, 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 the read the promise because of you. Yeah. That's the promise you're carrying. Okay, I'm just going to read it. This is the declaration of Adonai. Because you have done this thing, you did not withhold your son, your only son. I will richly bless you and bountifully multiply your seed like the stars of heaven and like the sand that is on the seashore. And your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. That promise is what we're fighting for now. Through him, because of Yeshua, because we have access, we get to partake in that blessing. That blessing is still being worked out. So when we say, why do we want his power? To be able to break the chains, to be able to, uh, you know, uh, overcome all obstacles. Why? What obstacles? To fulfill the promise. Well, what's the promise? For him to have a set-apart people who are peculiar, to be completely obtained back to himself a chosen people i feel like that has to be at the forefront of of our minds because then we don't know what he came for which is what we've been talking about neither jew nor gentile right and again i'm i'm speaking against the system that said that he came just so you could see heaven no he didn't it is not in the scripture it has nothing to do with the gospel i mean he was adamant on what type of gospel he preached. And it was not someday through me, you will have a good life, but on earth it sucks. He did not say that. He said on earth, as it is in heaven now, 
kingdom at hand, at hand. Seek first the kingdom. He was after a kingdom people to get us back to the original intent to go back to the Father and that there would be all nations. And we're standing in the midst of that era to be able to, pr to produce that. So when we're not checking it off the list and we're getting hungry to be fueled, it's for those things. Ask those questions because if you can't answer those, answer those questions, from the tenth, from the ten to the twenty-fifth power, then then salvation's just for you. Hmm. And he'll do it with or without you. I don't mean for it to not be personal, but we're beyond that, right? You guys understand? It's absolutely personal. He has to live in me, but why? Why is he sitting? Why? Why is he sitting inside of me? Where does he reside? Where is his seat? Which is where? Wake up tomorrow morning with that. Because we still are in a system that says, I'm here, this is earth, Yahweh's out there, and heaven's up here. But the scriptures do not say that. Where is he seated? Where is heaven? If he is seated in me, there are some things that we have got to operate in, and it is well beyond, what am I making for breakfast tomorrow morning? But we're in a transition. If he said this is established for what? We're thinking there is a for what? Absolutely on earth, but there's so much. And so he really wants us to get these Torah portions to really offend us because he's saying, can I have a people? Right. Like, and I, and, and, and obviously there's not, I don't, we don't have all the answers. I don't, and this is where, this is where Christianity gets weird because then in order to, Rebecca, can I talk about the, <laughs> she's all, <laughs> the, <laughs> I will, Jonathan's, uh, what do you call that where we got to be with him? Can I talk about that for a second? So this is where we mess up. Because when things don't look a certain way, we start to create theology. So what has happened in a system, whether it be Christianity or whatever, because experience doesn't line up with the word, we create a theology that begins to compromise the word. I, I don't want to be those people. So I don't have answers as to why Jonathan did not raise from the dead. But my body shook. I don't know what happened to me, but I saw him and I thought, I am going to make a fool out of myself. These people are here to mourn. My body literally would not stop convulsing. And I laid on top of him and I breathed in his mouth. And I told him, you get up. I looked, you get up, and I kept saying it, and I kept saying it, and I kept saying it, I kept saying it. <laughs> but I refuse to create a theology that does not believe that Abraham could walk with that kind of faith to say, he will rise. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? Here's what I will say. That woman right there, 
absolutely rose from the dead. I watched her literally rise from the dead. I don't understand what happened, but I know life was breathing. That woman started to convulse. I don't know what the heck was going on. We're on the floor. I started breathing into her mouth, and she absolutely rose from the dead. And we are watching her rise from the ashes. So I say that because that is how real Yahweh's word is, that I want us to be a people that would walk into a situation like that and praise the Lord that I had a daughter that would let me do that. Because praise the Lord, Avraham had an Isaac. To be allowed, to be able to have permission to walk obedient to Yahweh. He had an Isaac. Damn it. <laughs> he had an Isaac. And Isaac had an Avraham. Be an Avraham. Be an Isaac. And we will see life absolutely rise. Amen. 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 So. We will not create a theology that makes our experiences valid. To validate our experiences, if they don't, if they don't contradict, yeah, if it contradicts or doesn't rise or doesn't look like it's rising to the standard. Mm -hmm. And then, and then take the word and then compromise it to fit our need, but that we constantly rise to that standard. So be an Avraham. Get crazy for Yahweh, like in a in a good way. Be and and we can't get there on the checklist. Right. And we can't get we can't we can't get there on that 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 star that starvation mindset. It's right. that it's that fueling and 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 practicing and living and yeah. you know. But I yeah. Because he's after reintroducing us to who he is, who his character is, and understanding it from the original intent, from forward and backwards. So let's take everything that was just released and position it in front of that wall of resistance. So the unto that mom's speaking to, the character of Yahweh that's being revealed, the when she's saying the 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 father who the father who take take all of that like literally. I don't know how you can how to how to do this physically but but I see us taking that and physically putting it in front of your wall of resistance and using it to break down step over throw yourself over um push through yell at scream through like to 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 knock down the wall of resistance in you, knowing 
going back to the very beginning of tonight, that that wall of resistance is because where we are literally in a timeline of our Torah portions and the Torah reading us, that we're at a place where salvation again in the foreshadowing of what, what's to come is an opportunity for us as the bride to recognize it as the beginning. So the wall, the wall of resistance that you're feeling, the quiet that we felt, the, the complacency that came up in us over the course of this week or the last couple of weeks or however long it's been building, it's been building because this is what we've known as the end. So there's a slowing down, there's a shutting off or a powering down in us that starts to stir because all we've known is, ah, here we are at the end. In Genesis, <laughs> that's how when we, when 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 Yahweh is positioning us and saying you don't even you can't even begin to understand the level of complacency and lack of responsibility that you have carried. That it has been done in us since Genesis. And that's not even acknowledging that Genesis is still relevant other than that we were created. But that that is where we have stopped and that is where we were meant to begin. So the wall of resistance is all we've known because it's literally a wall that says it is done, it is finished. When it's a wall that keeps us from fully realizing who he is and that salvation is unto. A way to something to put in front of your wall. I. I say this a lot, so I, I feel like I've, I'm starting to recognize that, that there are a lot of things that I say again and again and again. So maybe, John's shaking his head. So maybe it's, it's like a personal like mantra that, that helps me, that I'm just recognizing and using my voice, that, that helps me push through personal walls of resistance. But I'm going to say it again anyway. That when you personally feel like you are finished or it is done, a work is done, whatever it is, that, that sometimes I'll feel like I, I wouldn't be able to push through if I stopped thinking it was for me. Does that make sense? So... If you, if you're, if you're willing to recognize that it isn't for you and it's unto something else or someone else, even just one person after you, but then at some point 
what will come is your recognition that when you break through a wall of resistance, it is on behalf of that 10 to the 25th power. So when you're in a moment of complacency and Yahweh reveals that to you or a family member reveals that to you or someone that Yahweh has said will hold you accountable in your life, someone says, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling like there's complacency in the house. I'm feeling like there's some resistance here. I'm feeling like there's this subconscious, like there, there's, there's something going on that that you would immediately, that there would be like this flip that switches in us, that you could see the generations of people, literally, that a flip would switch and a picture would come to your mind of the people that you are tearing that wall down on behalf of. It doesn't always feel like that in a moment because we are so... because we've only ever known that it's just for us. And that's okay in the sense that it's okay to acknowledge that we've been selfish. It's okay to acknowledge that we have hoarded our salvation and that we have said, thank God it's done. It's okay to acknowledge that because if you don't, it will stay just for you. And then, once you acknowledge that, Yahweh will begin to add that picture in your mind of who you are pushing through in, in the most menial of things, seemingly menial of things, where he's act, asking you to transform the way that you, maybe a habit in your life, or you know something that seems so practical and so small that it's so easy to justify, Right, like, and 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 then it's it's so it's we're so we're I it's like we're sinking like I it's like we're sinking into that sand like in our complacency while all of these people are like standing like standing like that sand generations generations waiting for you to change that or shift that mindset or or get it like get, make this something that you eat and it seems like well I'm just you know but but to know that that the only way that we're going to sustain this is by our heart's position being Hanani, knowing where we stand. And this is the work that positions us to receive where we're called to stand. Or we will, even though we are Torah observant or we're growing in becoming Torah observant, it still won't be unto it, anything if it's simply if we're simply just present in it that was what was released tonight you can be present and not know where you stand 
maybe we're not in a place anymore where we come to a corporate gathering and we're more than present. Maybe we're not just present anymore in that literal sense. Maybe some of us are, and that's a place to start, but, but maybe not. At the same time, are we not called to live a life where we are constantly being positioned to stand on behalf of, on behalf of him unto those generations that have been promised, that he is hungry to have restored back to him. So we were given some incredible tools and some powerful anointing tonight to be able to stare down the wall of resistance in us, whatever that looks like. It can look as simple and as practical as I'm just lazy. Really, like it, it can be that simple that I, I am just lazy. And I would, I, I would rather, I would rather zone out for two hours than to, than to do, you know what I mean? Than to, than, than to ask Yahweh to take a minute and ask him, how, how are you calling me to stand? In, in this moment or today in my house? Yes, as, as, as a mom. How am I supposed, how do I stand today on your behalf? What does that look like in all of these little practical ways? But that, that complacency is so natural that it's, it's like we just, we don't even, we don't even recognize the degree that we, that we operate in it. And it all, that is absolutely where it comes from is that it is for me and it's done. That has been the foundation. That has been what has been built on. It's what he already tore down, so let him build. The only way that he can build, the only way is if you ask where to stand. Because you are literally the tool that he is building with. So without your, without, we talk about how we have been so hungry for access to him. And he's like, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I have never had access. I have never had permission. And yes, he, he, he will, he will do it without you, but is that the kind of encounter you want to have with him at the end of your life? That that terrifies me. And not out of his 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 wrath or his ability to but but out of the the sheer crushing of missing a lifetime of being his partner. So grab a hold of the tools that you were given tonight. Place them in front of that wall and tear it down. 
Because from this portion forward is the unto. If that was the foreshadowing of salvation, then what comes next is truly everything that we haven't had, haven't known we had access to that will empower and equip us and mold us and shape us and build us for the what, for the how, so that he can have his people restored back to him. That is your calling. That is the calling of kingdom heirs. That is your destiny. That is what you're called to as a transitionary. That is why you're here. And it can't be done simply because we submit to a teaching on a Friday night, to a word, in a moment, to being Torah observant, to all of those things, but it is completely dependent, completely fully dependent on your response and your level of engagement. Okay. All right, you guys. Well, that is it for tonight. I know that is a heavy ending and it's hard to just... <laughs> yes, I know that is a heavy ending. Um, but this is the call of our lives, so it is not anything that we ever... That's a part of how we walk, right? Where it's like, yay, service is done. Now I can just go back to my life. You know, we are so far removed from that that it is... It is okay to carry the heaviness of what is being asked of you as you go. So if there is anyone who looks like they need encouragement, need a hug, or to be told thank you for allowing Yahweh to position you to stand, speak that life and encouragement over your brothers and sisters who have said yes to being part of the transitionary remnant bride alongside you and have said, yes, I am called to be set apart as you are called to be set apart. So <clears throat> encourage one another in that. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at Kingdom Heirs flag.org. Thank you.